Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, empowering intelligent care. Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, Empowering Intelligent Care, a podcast brought to you by the experts at Iodine Software. I'm your host, Lauren Hickey, and in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on quality in healthcare and clinical documentation integrity, and the effects of focusing on quality as an outcome or a goal versus the effects of focusing on creating quality, effective processes. I have two great guests with me today, Iodine's own Fran Jurak. Chief Clinical Strategist, and Deb Jones, who is the Director of Clinical Documentation Improvement at Brigham Health. Thank you so much for joining me today, ladies. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks, Deb, for participating. We always appreciate it when our clients want to have conversation uh, with with us uh, about our products. I'm absolutely happy to be here. So first, just for some level setting, quality can mean a lot of different things, especially in healthcare. So Deb, for the purposes of this discussion, when we say quality and quality outcomes, what exactly are we referring to? Uh, Yeah, and I I understand that um, as it relates to CDI, institutions may think differently about quality and quality outcomes. Um, But in general, I think it makes sense if we consider um, quality and quality outcomes within the framework of the um, six domains of quality that were outlined by the IOM in the early 2000s. Uh, The goal of that initial framework was to address the challenges to quality and quality care and help institutions kind of design um, solutions to uh, improve their the quality of their care, but more broadly, it was to improve healthcare overall and to help consumers make informed choices. Right. So um, those six domains: safety, efficiency, effectiveness, patient-centered care, timeliness, equity, um, and then we have our quality measures. Um, that are designed to allow us to observe our performance in these domains. So that all in turn leads us to the ability to benchmark our results and learn from best practices from those who are more successful than us and finally improve our quality outcomes, right? Um, For each of these domains, there are numerous outcomes that may apply. And we probably safely could say that CDI has the ability to influence most, if not all of these buckets. Mm -hmm. Um, The ones historically that I think, um, at least in my institution, that we pay most attention to um, in CDI are our survival scores, our readmission rates, and length of stay. Okay. And so for Fran, Beyond the obvious of, you know, we all want to be making sure that we're providing very high quality care and we're tracking the quality of care that we're giving to our patients. Why are these outcomes so important beyond the obvious? Well, I mean, I think the obvious leads leads directly to the answer, right? The, the obvious to your point is everyone wants to go where they're going to get the best care, right? Uh, and the, the difference in today's world and why it becomes even more important is consumers are making decisions about where they're going to get that care based upon this publicly reported information. 
Um, as someone who personally had some surgery, the first thing I did was go online and start investigating the organizations where I could have my surgery and which surgeons did I want to perform my surgery. So all of this documentation translates into publicly reported information that is driving hospital reputation and consumer decisions about where they're going to receive care, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's really about ensuring that the world can see uh, the level of care that you provide and what level of acuity your patients are experiencing and whether or not they have positive outcomes. Tied to that, as we as we look forward to even this year's proposed changes for 2023, more and more of these quality initiatives are tied to reimbursement. Um, the sense that if you do not meet minimum benchmarks, you will either be penalized um, or have, have payment withheld as an organization because you are not providing that level of care that is the expectation. Now, a lot of that is driven to the appropriateness of documentation, and and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit further, Um, but certainly that tie to reimbursement brings this to the forefront of not only the quality leadership in an organization, but the revenue cycle leadership as well. And I would say the last piece of why it's so important is that this also ties into how hospitals are accredited for the level of care of which they are able to to provide. And so ensuring that the acuity uh, of your document or of your patient care is appropriately translated into documentation that reflects the care you provide is going to allow you to continue to provide that level of care in the future. So certainly tied to all of those. um, And certainly there are many more reasons why it's important, but I would say those are probably the big three. Sure. And so sort of going off of your point of now, you know, patients and as consumers of healthcare really have more information and more freedom of choice than ever before. There are a lot of institutions that will sort of score or rank hospitals and physicians with the intention of helping patients choose, like, where do I want to go? Um, but every doctor I've ever spoken to about this, when you bring up this idea of scoring and ranking their response without fail is, oh, well, my patients are sicker. There are more complicated cases. That's why I had these outcomes. It's not a fair ranking, which in their defense is a real concern. You know, there's a big difference between a 75 year old who needs heart surgery and a 30 year old who needs surgery. So Deb, when we're talking about, you know, ranking and scoring for quality, how do we control for that? Sure. And, you know, as you ask that question, um, in institutions like mine in Boston, you can literally throw a stone at another academic medical center. So we have to constantly be, you know, at our best and, and proving to our consumers, right, that, um, that we're delivering the best care. So first and foremost, it's about documentation accuracy, um, ensuring, you know, uh, just the basic CDI that all conditions are that are being monitored and treated are capturable. Um, And then it comes to risk adjustment. And um, I feel like with the onset of risk adjustment, we have kind of, you know, brought some some new lifeblood into CDI. And I think this is what I've been getting excited about lately is um, that that we're kind of, you know, incorporating these changes into our practice. So um, 
risk adjustment really kind of aims to answer exactly the question that you were saying, Lauren. Um, how would performance um, of various uh, units compare? In this case, your 25-year-old woman and 70-year-old man who both need surgery, um, if we were able to adjust for those confounding factors like age and chronic conditions. And what's new in CDI is that a lot of these conditions are things that we never thought of or looked for before because they weren't uh, CC or an MCC or impacting our SOI or ROM. So it's kind of an exciting time to be able to, um, for CDI to be able to influence this. And so Fran Dip sort of touched on this, this idea of that, you know, it's sort of quality rankings sort of start with CDI. I'm hoping that you can expand on that and how, you know, this ties, these quality rankings and scoring sort of tie into the documentation improvement world. Yeah, so you're right. Deb, Deb did, did get us started on the conversation and, and she mentioned some key words earlier in, in her response and that is documentation accuracy, right? So being able to really capture the true clinical picture of the patient, uh, what's, what's, uh, what care is being provided to that patient is going to get us accuracy of what's reported, right? Our rankings and scoring are based off of claims data and that claims data is, is dependent upon accuracy of the documentation. And if you have bad documentation or inaccurate, inconsistent, unspecified documentation, you are not going to reflect the type of patients that you're taking care of. And then to add to that, you know, Deb, Deb made a really good point. There are conditions that are now very important to these methodologies in terms of identifying risk that historically in the documentation world, we didn't worry about. It, it didn't have a level of significance that required us to get to that level of specificity or acuity as we, today, as we need to today. So today it's really about capturing every condition that's being monitored and treated in the care of a patient and ensuring that those are accurately and specifically documented to ensure that you're capturing the true clinical picture of what's happening to patients today so you can best reflect yourself as an organization to the outside world. So sort of the theme of this podcast, you know, is quality as an outcome versus a process. And so when we're talking about clinical documentation, integrity or improvement, um, what can be the impact of focusing on quality as an outcome at, instead of as creating a quality process, Fran? Yeah, so I, I think the challenge here, and we I've seen this many times, I've been, you know, consulting in the CDI space for almost 20 years now. And, you know, very often uh, organizational leaders look at a, a report and they say, oh, we're an outlier here, or we have an issue here. And so you drive your team to focus on that particular topic, and maybe you do improve that particular metric, but you're doing so at the cost of others, right? As opposed to thinking more about what is true north which is documentation accuracy and capturing all of those conditions. Uh, because in the end, uh, when we look at those quality metrics, you don't really know until you start digging into medical records, whether or not it's a quality of care issue or a quality of documentation issue. And I think it's been very easy uh, in the healthcare industry to point the finger at documentation and coding, as opposed to the, the problems you would need to potentially solve from a clinical perspective. So how do you know when you're there, right? How do I know when my documentation is as good as it's going to be for the clinical evidence of what's happening to a patient? And how do we measure that? 
It's something that we're exploring at iodine uh, and looking forward to identification of a documentation accuracy index that will help identify, does the clinical evidence equate to the documentation I have instead of organizations making an, an assumption that because this particular quality metric doesn't look good or as, as, as good as it should, it's a documentation problem. Let, let's solve that problem. Let's solve, yes, we do have documentation problems. I'm not gonna deny that. Deb and I wouldn't be in this business if there wasn't an opportunity there. But at what point do you know you're there? And I think that's that's a component that we haven't really explored in our industry that we are excited to be looking forward to at iodine. Yeah, and I can see sort of the temptation in in blaming, oh, this is a documentation, not a clinical quality issue, because the reality is a documentation issue is a lot easier to fix than a clinical quality issue. And a lot of times in healthcare, you know, it's, it's a big, slow moving boat that you're trying to turn around. Even if you implement, you know, new processes or improvement efforts now, you're not going to necessarily see the results of those for a year or more down the road. Very true. But unfortunately, um, it isn't as easy to solve the documentation issue as we would all like, right? Deb, Deb and I can attest to years and years of conversations with physicians around the same topics over and over, trying to get that change to occur. So I, in some ways, I feel like it's still that trying to, 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 to turn that slow moving, moving boat. But I would agree at face value, it's an easier problem to solve than having to go and change clinical processes mm -hmm. if documentation truly is your issue. Right. And, and, you know, on that point, Fran, being able to identify that documentation accuracy index, it's also not always a clinical issue either. Um, you know, recently um, we had one of our oncologists come to us and say, you know, that our their mortality scores seemed off and can you help us, you know, walk us through this. And sometimes it's just that the, the acuity isn't there. Um, and, and sometimes that's the answer too. So being able to answer it through a documentation accuracy index and rather than, you know, doing these deep chart dives to find out, you know, what, uh, what the, either the, the clinical issue was or the documentation issue was, this would save a lot of work on, uh, for a lot of people. Love that idea. Coming soon. <laughs> and so just to expand on that a little more, how, how is iodine sort of imagining this documentation accuracy index working? Is it, you know, what, what is it actually looking at? So what we're able to do um, with our, with our um, millions of medical records in our data warehouse is look at the clinical evidence of what is actually happening to the patient and compare that to the actual documentation and determine whether or not there's a discrepancy there and create a ratio that identifies the likelihood that the documentation is reflective of the clinical evidence. Um, so we're calling that an accuracy of documentation index, right? Documentation accuracy index is the, is the actual title. In the future, I'm hoping I can refer to it as the DAI because uh, it's a mouthful to say, but it really does describe what we're trying to identify. Does, is the documentation that is reflected in that medical record supportive of the evidence of what's actually happening to the patient. Because if so, we don't have a documentation issue, right? 
We have a different issue. It could be, to Deb's point, an acuity issue for those patients because their O to E ratio was, uh, or O to E mortality ratio maybe wasn't what they had hoped for or expected. Uh, that said, there are definitely times when it is a clinical issue and clinical processes need to change. And until we can resolve the documentation issue, no one's going to want to pay close attention to the fact that there could be a clinical issue. I mean, a lot of these um, quality metrics, hospital-acquired condition metrics, uh, patient safety uh, conditions are all driven by the fact that there is an expectation of what should and shouldn't happen in a hospital in today's world. How do we know when we're there? How do we know when it's a documentation issue? And that's that's the that's the problem we're trying to solve. Right. So this in this index, it's sort of looking at a patient record and saying, oh, you know, we think these 10 things should be documented. Maybe eight of them are. You've got a score of 80. And then that also helps the CDIS, the specialist, know, oh, there's a hole here There's that I can potentially plug. There's opportunity here for me. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I think uh, the bigger perspective is, is the overall score for an organization to know where you stand and is your CDI program assisting you in getting to the right place. But you're right, at an individual case level, there's certainly the opportunity to help demonstrate. And I think it ties in to what Deb mentioned earlier with some of these other risk-adjusted scoring methodologies. Because, okay, we've already you know, gotten to the point where we think we have an appropriate DRG for reimbursement. We already know that we're you know, reached a level of severity and risk of mortality that you know, demonstrates how acutely ill this patient is. But we could still have missed out on some of those conditions that contribute to those risk-adjusted scores. So Deb, I want to get into the work that you've done with your team to improve workflows. But first, can you give us some background on your organization, Brigham Health? Um, sure, I would love to. I, I, for anyone that knows me, I'd love to be able to talk about Brigham Health because I'm so proud of the organization that I work for. Um, so if I may, for those who aren't familiar um, or who haven't heard my spiel before, um, Brigham Health is um, Brigham and Women's Hospital and Brigham Faulkner Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, we have more than a thousand inpatient beds, serve about 60,000 annual inpatient stays. Um, and Brigham and Women's Hospital is a large academic medical center. And like I said, in Boston, I can literally um, throw a stone to uh, to uh, another academic medical center <clears throat> right around the corner. Um, and, and there are several of them, right, in Boston. So um, we are very proud that we are um, consistently ranked among the top 20 um, hospitals in the nation by US News and World Report and um, internationally renowned treatment center. Um, we house our Dana-Farber Brigham and Women's Cancer Center. All right, so just to get started, can you establish for us sort of a baseline of where you and your team were in your processes and workflows? We had, um, you know, in the past utilized a, C a standard CDI software, no prioritization, no physician engagement tools. Um, <clears throat> and for process measures, we had um, focused on a review rate goal of 95% um, because, right, more charts equals more opportunity. Um, and we had a financially uh, impacting query rate goal of 15%, which we struggled to meet every month. 
Um, and then we had a severity query rate goal of 35%. And um, we generally were able to, to meet that goal right around 35%. Um, plus, then every year we have this increase, increasing financial target, uh, and we felt we did. You know, we were we felt like we were doing a really good job. We have a very seasoned CDI team, um, and eighteen CDI nurses. All of them have over ten years of. No, I shouldn't say all. Most of them have over ten years of CDI experience. And then, you know, this is like pre-2019, pre-2020, and then things started to shift. Okay, um, so what happens in 2020? In 2020, CDI was charged with a new goal, and it was improving expected mortality. By improving our expected mortality, we can influence the hospitals over E, right, by increasing that denominator the, the, uh, of the expected. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, you know, in such, we're influencing our U.S. news rankings as their methodology, their uh, U.S. news methodology includes a risk adjustment survival score, which is like 30 or 35 percent of the overall U.S. news score. Um, <clears throat> and then we can have a, like a peripheral effect on things like length of stay and readmissions as well, because they're using a similar risk adjustment, risk adjusted methodology as is used for uh, measuring expected mortality. So all of this new work we're charged with, um, but we're not given any more staff, right? Uh, so we have 18 CDSs um, and we were staffed at probably like one for every 1500 discharges. Um, so the big question was then, um, how do we incorporate this new work? Uh, without losing sight of the work that we were doing that we were really good at um, and, you know, maintaining that performance as well. So um, the, we, we found was the answer was really in our metrics. We were reviewing 95% of the encounters and we were query at, querying on less than 40% of them. So it's like this big uh, volume of non-productive work that um, is being charged to a CDS, an RN in Boston, um, really expensive and just didn't seem to, um, to, uh, to be an efficient way to, to, to perform our work and reach our, our goals. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like there was some real opportunity to introduce some new efficiencies into the process. So what steps did you and your team take to implement quality, effective processes? So um, we added the uh, prioritization tool. Um, and with this, the CDSs were able to review significantly less charts. I want to say in the first month, um, we went from a review rate of 95% to 75%. And then even, you know, currently we're hovering a little bit lower than that. Um, so this allowed the CDSs more time in the record, um, <clears throat> uh, more time to review for those complex conditions those um, risk adjustment conditions that we weren't really looking for before. And really the goal now is to just capture every opportunity in the record. And, and we also changed some existing workflows. 
um, by having that efficiency, um, we were able to free up uh, one of our CDSs to, um, and we call it a, a special assignment role. And at this point, we're kind of uh, rotating that every month because all of the nurses want to be able to participate in this um, this special assignment role. But that nurse is um, focusing on the mortality reviews, which we had done before, but we were just, you know, kind of maxing our SOI and ROM. We also added a new metric, which is our encounter query rate. Um, so that's of reviewed cases, encounters with at least one query and added our, added our existing financial chart impact rate, which measures agreed to financially impacting queries out of total discharges, which is a little bit different. Um, we call that a chart impact rate, um, <clears throat> but we've changed that up to, uh, to an all, all chart impact rate, which really means that um, an encounter with at least one agreed query out of total discharges. Um, we particularly found this to be particularly useful in measuring our performance <clears throat> once we moved to a prioritization tool, as there was some concern about the impact that our lower review rate would have. By measuring out of total discharges, we're able to eliminate the, the, the noise that review rates and agree rates and, um, and response rates kind of like add into our metrics mm -hmm. because we're, all, we're looking at out of total discharges, how many encounters were we able to impact? And what we found was that even though we decreased our review rate, we were impacting more, more cases, which was really exciting. And then of course we are measuring our expected mortality and that's you know the, the crux of this all, how, how we started all of these changes. So we started with a baseline of 2.5% um, uh, expected mortality and um, which is, which is uh, pretty low. And we know we have a lot of work to do and it's, a, it's still a, uh, a work in progress, but we have a target of a 4% expected mortality. And currently we're at 3%, um, <clears throat> which, um, which really has, you know, it's, we've moved the needle quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, and it's still very much a, a work in progress. And I was just kind of right before we got on the call, taking a look and thinking um, about our query volume as well. And our, encounters with a clarification um, prior to our implementation of a prioritization, we were reviewing, we were at about a, a 925 on average um, uh, encounters with clarifications and then um, uh, per month and then post, post uh, implementation, we're now at about 1400 per month. Um, and that's again, Reviewing less cases, we're finding more cases with opportunity. It, um, it's uh, it's uh, again been exciting. Um, <clears throat> all these quality initiatives, as I said before, have really invigorated CDI. I think uh, at least in our organization, um, with this new lifeblood and purpose, it's just it's exciting time. I mean, it, it's a great story, and really does pro 
you know, give a depiction of the true value of prioritization. I think your point of, you know, we're looking at less cases, but finding more opportunity um, is really the goal of, of any prioritization um, situation. And, and certainly uh, getting the right case at the right time is, is a goal of ours. So appreciate that background and that, that story. So earlier, I think you said that, you know, before you added this new technology that was helping CDS's prioritize cases, they were reviewing 95% of cases, but they were only querying 40% of the cases that they reviewed. So over half of their time was spent reviewing cases that didn't have any opportunity on it and arguably was a waste of their time. Whereas now, post-implementation, your team is reviewing less cases, but the cases that they're reviewing are the right ones. And so they're actually querying more. Query volumes are going up. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, I think that um, and probably that 40 percent uh, we were querying on about 40 percent of the of of the 95 percent cases mm-hmm. that we were reviewing. I would say that even that, you know, we're we're probably impacting more now what I'm trying to say is, yes, that we have really found that through the use of this, of prioritization and just changing up these workloads and trying to change the mindset of the CDS, spending more time in the record, they're finding more opportunity, but then they're also finding opportunity in other records as well, just because they have they have the, the time and the bandwidth to do it. And, and we're, we've taken away that pressure of needing to review a certain number of cases. You talked about how you had 18 CDSs on your team and their roles were expanding. They had more things that they needed to do, um, but you weren't able to hire on more staff. But it sounds like this has really allowed you to scale your workforce to such an extent that you're now able to have one of your CDI specialists in that special assignment role where they're not reviewing and querying cases all day, they're able to, you know, sort of focus on other things. Yeah. And in addition to that, they're also having the ability to go out and do some education that we didn't really have time for before and aligning the CDSs with the service lines, they're building relationships. And all of this has really led to a lot of satisfaction for the nurses because it's getting them away from just the, I won't say mundane, but it can be, you know, when you're spending eight hours a day, just doing chart review. Um, So um, it's giving them the ability to kind of expand their skills a little bit too, and um, kind of get out of that comfort zone that they've been in for so long. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with me today and share your experience and your expertise with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you. So that's going to do it for this episode of Iodine Intelligence. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. If you'd like to stay up to date, make sure you subscribe with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. We'll be back next month with a new episode. And until then, I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. And thank you so much for joining us.